0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is author conversation. We have Alison Espak talking about her novel, Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance. Her debut novel, The Adults, was a B&B Discover pick, an editor's choice at the New York Times Book Review, and... Named a best book of 2011 by the Wall Street Journal, the Chicago Tribune, Amazon, Booklist, Kirkus, and Library Journal. Before I get into our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. And for those of you looking for a great audiobook app, go to libro.fm and enter code LLTB podcast. With libro.fm, a portion of your purchase benefits your local bookstore. I would highly recommend them. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Allison Espach, the author of Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance. Well, I have uh, Alison Spack here, and she wrote this amazing book, Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance. And welcome to the Living Alistair Books podcast. I'm excited to have you. So let's talk about your book. Where did this idea come from?
1: Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, It's really a pleasure. Um, The idea for the book came a long time ago, probably about 10 years ago. When I started to, I, I kind of came up with the title first: "Notes on Your Southern Disappearance." And I came up with that title really more for a memoir that I had been thinking of writing. Uh, I was in um, recently out of graduate school. I had taken a nonfiction class at Washington University in St. Louis with uh, my wonderful professor Kathleen
0: Finneran. Uh Hi, You're making- I'm in St. Louis. Oh, you are. I did undergrad in WashU too. Oh, like, what? Oh, my gosh. That's great. OK. OK, keep going. So do you know Kathleen? No, I do not know Kathleen, but oh. I know why she. But anyway, <laughs>
1: okay. well, she's there and she's great. She yeah. So she encouraged me to write. non. She was probably the first person to encourage me to write nonfiction. And so I started writing about the death of my older brother when we were teenagers. And I really kind of, you know, what what brought me to that project was this feeling that I had had for, you know, basically ever since he, he passed, which was this, this feeling of wanting to tell him what was going on. <laughs> Particularly, I wanted to tell him what was going on related to his death, to the friends that he had, you know, to give him updates on life, right? The updates that he would find weird or shocking or funny, or you know, totally surprising or whatever it is. And updates on our parents and our family and, and what was going on with them. Um, but, you know, be, because I couldn't do it in real life. Right. I, I, right. I, I, yeah. So, um, so I would just sort of make these notes or really like jot down these things that I thought he should know, right. That seemed vital for whatever reason. But when I finished, I really just didn't want to do anything with it. Like as a memoir, you know, I didn't want to, okay. I didn't want to publish anything, um, so directly about my life. And also it just didn't feel like it had the right ending because I, uh, I was not finished grieving. You know, I was, uh, I, I didn't make it to the end of the memoir where the protagonist is healthy and like wealthy or over all their problems or have resolved their grief. So I really just started imagining using that same emotion, using that same concept, but uh-huh. um, freeing myself from the facts, right? And, and okay. creating the sister, Kathy, and really allowing myself to to have a little more fun with it, right? Because okay. I didn't, yeah. So um, was so it a, a little answer. bit more
0: fun? I what mean, you you, was it a little bit more fun or was oh, it still yeah. stressful? Because you're still kind of taking a live event that happened in your life in kind of taking some of those emotions while you're using this event right. as fiction.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think writing a novel is is all the things that it can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, feel, you feel all the feelings that a person f- can feel. So, you know, parts of it were really fun. Parts of it were lighthearted for me. Parts of it were... Um, uh, inspiring parts of it were devastating and frustrating. And, but, you know, I, I would say that writing the book wasn't anything particularly worse than the experience, you know? So I, okay. I, I would say for me, it it felt like I was crawling my way out of something dark and the book helped me do that. Right. It really okay. helped me crystallize moments of comedy, you know, it, it helped me um, really think about the ways that grief is not just a devastating experience or feeling, right? That mm-hmm. grief is really this like record of of how much we love, loved a person or still love right. a person. And so right. I don't know, by the end, I, I found myself feeling more connected to my brother than I ever had since he had died. And for me, that was a feeling of joy, right? Okay. Or a feeling of as much joy as, as you can experience with a person after they've passed. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. You know, you've answered quite a few questions here because a couple of my biggest questions actually were, were about the title of the book and about the point of view of the book, and it's just, those were my two things that were just kind of like, I'm like, wait, notes on your sudden disappearance. I thought it was going to be a mystery.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's the title. And I'm like, but it's not a sudden disappearance. I mean, a sudden disappearance means we're still trying to find out what happened. This person could be dead. This person could be alive. So I was, I'll be honest, a little disappointed by the title because I love the book and I'm like. Wait, why was that? I mean, was that the original title? Were you aware that people thought of it that maybe, well, not people, well, I did. <laughs> like, I mean, I could have construed it as a potential mystery as opposed to this drama and the story that it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the title Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance was the original title for me. Because for me, you know, a sudden death, a death as sudden as say a car crash, which is what it was for my brother. uh, It's so instant, right? It's like it's it's so sudden that, and the person is just gone. And so, one of the first lines that I ever wrote was. Sally, your sister is dead. Poof, Uh, now go to church or something like that. I'm probably misquoting myself here. But uh, just this sense that the person was here one day and then they're entirely gone from the world the next day. And I think when it's so fast like that, Uh um, when, you know, within seconds, uh, a person is taken from you. That there's something particular about that grieving experience, which is really feeling like that person is not fully gone, right um or really not even understanding for years what it means for that person to be to actually be dead, right so okay, um, so for me, you know i I wanted. I wanted that word disappearance to do some work, though I absolutely kn- knew that uh, that people would certainly interpret it as a mystery. Um, I kind of just trusted in the marketing.
0: Okay, <laughs> The marketing
1: okay. Would, would not lead people to think that, because as you know, it is not a mystery.
0: Right. No, it is not Sorry a mystery at all. No, who, not at all.
1: Who, who wanted a mystery.
0: Right. I just, for me, the other thing was the point of view, which you kind of answered to me is because you were processing your own brother's death. And so in, you know, in notes, you have Sally processing Kathy's death. And throughout the book, she's always like, oh, today I talked to Billy. And today I talked to your boyfriend. And today I talked to this person. And at some point in the middle for me as a reader, I was like, okay, I get it. I I get it that, you know, this is dead, you know, that your sister's dead and you're trying to, you know, talk to your sister. What's the story? I mean, I want to continue with the story. So, but now it it helps me understand why that point of view just continued throughout as being Sally's point of view.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that, that is exactly the sense that I wanted for that was just this um, giant attempt at communication with her sister.
0: Okay. Um, So what do you want your readers to take from this book um
1: i hope that readers connect with sally and and identify with her and feel a little less alone in their own grief if if they are feeling such a thing or have Mm -hmm. ever felt such a thing and I also want the readers as, as they're experiencing it, as they're going through it with Sally um, to laugh, <laughs> you know, I've always right. wanted that in my fiction because that's what I want from, from the fiction that I read. You know, I am mm-hmm. a very demanding uh, reader. I, I like to be, yeah, I, I like playful books. I like books that, that do try to, to break out of the darkness of life mm-hmm. and the darkness of certain experiences. Um by highlighting the absurd or whatnot. So I, um, so yeah, I, I, I hope they laugh and, um, about as much as they cry. <laughs> right. uh, and I, I do hope that it leaves readers with a feeling of fullness that, that even though someone is gone and even though we've experienced pain because of that, like it was all worth it, mm-hmm. the sense that it was a full life and it was a full relationship and, um, and, and I hope they can bring that back into their lives right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and think about the people they've lost that way. So, so, yeah. Right.
0: What were your favorite moments in this book? Not about writing the book per se, but this book and the story. What were your favorite parts of the story? My favorite
1: parts of the story? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I
0: don't know. Um,
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: I'll always remember your, the dad... And with the ladder, trying oh. to fix it. I mean, you know, it's. I don't want to give anything away, but you know, it's. Of course, you know, the end always sticks with you because you're always wondering what happens. But that that scene is just. I'm still laughing about it. I'm just like, <laughs> cannot believe it. But but what what? Yeah, what what are your favorite scenes in this book? You know, I. One
1: of the scenes I was really looking forward to getting to was. The scene where Sally, uh, the narrator, becomes romantic with her deceased older sister's boyfriend—that's what we know. Like, I always knew that was sort of one of the the big scenes, right? Probably Mm -hmm. one of the climactic moments of the book,
0: right? Um,
1: And I kept writing my way towards that. And so much of the book is setting you up for that, right? Like. They're getting closer. They're getting closer in different ways each time they reconnect. And yeah, I was just very excited to see what it would be like when they got together, and and what what parts of it she might want to tell her sister, and what parts might be excruciating to tell her her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that was that was really fun to write. Though that is the question you you asked. You didn't ask that question.
0: Well, no, <laughs> but, it's fine. But, it's it's the same thing. It's the same you know, thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is. Um, it,
0: It is the same thing, essentially. It is
1: the same thing. Yeah. So So, that was that was the 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 kind of cathartic payoff moment for me where you know a professor from graduate school told me once, you know, that he's like, Oh, you you yeah, this was a critique of a short story that I had submitted for workshop. And he's he's like, You have all these great players here, these characters who have all these tensions with each other. And then you let them out of the room and they go home and you know the tension is over and the drama falls flat. And so I, I, that was such a, a key critique for me that I've carried with me as a writer over uh-huh. so many years. Um, this notion of keeping the characters in the room for longer than you think you should. Uh, okay. and so I don't know, keeping Sally and Billy in the room. And there's this sense that maybe Kathy is watching somehow, right? Like just keeping right. everyone in that room. And, and that was, yeah, that was just sort of fun for me. Um, more lighthearted moments, I suppose, or you know, comedic moments. I, I like um, the State of the Union scene where they're watching.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Bill Clinton <laughs> give his political address. I just, I had so uh, much fun with that scene of. Oh, Lock the White notes,
0: out. the notes on that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, oh. yes, yes, absolutely yeah that that was that was just hilarious like, oh no, thank
1: you I'm glad you
0: I'm glad you liked it, yeah. Oh, it, was, it was I, yeah that was one of the big other big
1: scenes like I had that scene for a long time and i i just i knew I wanted to write a novel around that scene
0: so where did that scene come from? I mean like you said you have that scene around in a long time. It's just something that just came up like as a thought process that what happens if this happened kind of a thing or You know, I don't, I don't think
1: that that happened. Um, I mean, I have no memory of that (laughs) that scene happening in my life, but I, I do remember having this distinct memory of hearing someone, maybe it was my father, maybe not. I can't remember uh, saying that, you know, your mother finds Bill Clinton attractive or something like that. (laughs) And I was in fifth grade at the time, sixth grade, I think when he was president. And so that combined with the Monica Lewinsky scandal that was all over the news um, when I was just kind of forming a consciousness, really, uh, right was so confusing to me <laughs> because it was like you're, lear- you're, you're literally learning like about the US government in social studies <laughs> in like the most simplistic <laughs> way. and then you go home and you see like news on the TV or in papers. That's like, it's just like, why are we're talking about the president getting a blow job or maybe not getting a blow job. You're right. Right. So, um, so I, to me, I don't know. I just was so, I just kept thinking about that. And I created this when I created Sally, um, it seemed like a perfect way to illustrate one of the big themes of the book, which is sort of how much changes, when we grow up, right? And, and not right. realizing when we're little, how complicated the world really is, right? right? So she has this notion of what the president is and what the state of the union addresses. And then over the course of that scene, she starts to sense that things are not really as they seem, and that she's been a little naive or overly simplistic, and that is very much like for me, you know, what the the rest of the book is about, right? That like when she was a little kid and her older sister was telling her all these things about Billy and right. life and love and romance, right? She just like absorbs it all and thinks that's all there is, and then grows up and becomes older than her older sister, right? And wants to take those notes again, you know, not mm-hmm. notes on the state of the union, but notes on just how both of them misunderstood the world, you know, and it's, it's so different seeing the world through the eyes of a 28 year old woman than a 17 year old girl or, you know, 12 year old girl. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. Uh, and I I just, yeah. And I, I did bring it up to my mother recently, um, because she read the book and, uh, and she's like, I, I did not find, She, you know, she denied it totally. So she's like, I did not find Bill Clinton attractive. And like, <laughs> what are you talking about? That is not a memory from our family. Uh, uh, so who knows, who knows where I got it from? I don't know.
0: So there's another theme in your book. Well, I think it's a theme in your book is about forgiveness. And it's the dad who, I think holds Billy responsible forever and is not able to forgive him. You know, where, where did that come from? Um,
1: yeah, you know, I, I think there's so much shame and anger wrapped up in grief, right. And Mm -hmm. who, in the question of who, who, who is there to blame for, for all this tragedy, um, is, is often a big question in our lives after a a tragedy and particularly like this one with Kathy and Sally and her dad and Billy. I think for me, I couldn't imagine, it was so hard to imagine Billy being able to forgive himself for, for what happened with Kathy. Mm -hmm. Right. But I really wanted him to be able to do that. (laughs) And I didn't know how he would, right. Like for most of the Book and most of the book, or most of his character arc, is I think you know exploring his character and the ways he cannot forgive himself and
0: mm-hmm.
1: how that manifests in his life. Um, sure. And for the father too, you know, the father sort of leans, skews a bit angry after the death, right? And and I think holding on to grudge—it's not a grudge; it's more than a grudge, right? But really holding on to the kind of anger. and and rage that he felt towards Billy after Kathy's death it sort of keeps you in the grief right it keeps you locked in the death forever Um, right so I couldn't really imagine this family or Billy uh, resolving their grief in any meaningful way without forgiveness because that really had to be the first thing to happen for them to actually let go right and so there's that kind of forgiveness, um, but I, you know, and I think for Sally, it's, she also has to forgive herself, you know, she feels right. guilty in, in many ways. And if for anyone who's, a, who's ever experienced a kind of survivor, survivor's guilt, um, mm-hmm. you know, for siblings, like in the case of Kathy and Sally or me and my brother, um, it's, I've experienced it as a A guilt that resurfaces often in your happiest moments, right? When Mm -hmm. you're, or you're, or the big milestones of your life, right? right? And so, you know, you're even publishing this book, right? Right. It it felt like such a grand achievement for me. You know, I had been working on it for so long and I was, I was so happy to sell it and see it out in the world. And then the day after my first public reading, um, I cried because it was, yeah, it, it just brought in those feelings again of, oh, right. you know, but he actually can't be here right. to, to, to celebrate with me. He can't publish his own book. Why do I get to publish my book? You know? Uh, so, so those feelings are natural, but I think, you know, I'm 37 now and I lost my brother when I was 14. So for me, it just mm-hmm. really felt like time to figure out how, how to put those feelings to bed for good, right. you know, um, or at least to have them resurface and then acknowledge them and then just kind of let them go. Um, right. and for me, I, I process that as a kind of self-forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's okay <laughs> to be alive and it's okay to be happy and without trying to destroy that happiness. as soon as you feel it, because someone else can't, Right. can't experience it with you um so so yeah so forgiving of each other uh, but also forgiving uh ourselves for just for carrying on right who's your favorite character who's my favorite character oh yes. that's another question no one has asked uh hmm i mean i guess it would be natural to say sally since she's the she's the one i wanted to spend the most time with but i think Jan, the psychic, was one of my favorite characters. Okay, uh, even though she doesn't appear too often, sort of in the flesh in the book, right? But um, I, I like characters who sometimes exist off the page in people's imaginations, right? Because and in you thinking of all the the things that this person could be or could not be, and then ultimately bringing the character onto the page in a scene and and the reader gets to see for, for themselves, like Mm -hmm. what she actually is and the the truth of the situation. So um, I doubt she'll be everyone's, you know, I doubt she'll be the reader's favorite character, but for me, um, she was a fun character to, to play around with. um, She was,
0: she she was comic relief. Yeah. Mom's like, Oh, Oh, Jan told me that. (laughs) <laughs> well, Jan told me that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I was just, it was just Jan's character cemented the mom's character. I was just laughing so much. I was just like, oh, of course, Jan told me that. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I didn't think about Jan, Jan being a favorite character. Well, that's that's good. So tell me about, um, so let's go to the techie side of things, the actual nuts and bolts of writing Um, how do you write, do you plot it, do you just write, how many drafts, you know, and then how do you find an editor, you know, all just that nuts and bolts of starting, you know, putting words to paper to the finished product. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I don't
1: outline in like in the ways that um, character like writers and movies outline. Yeah, so I don't have a post a post-it board of like all the scenes unfolding in a systematic way, um, but I do surely outline in my head at some point during the writing process, but really not right away. I, I think the one thing that I know uh, when I start working on a on a story is the shape that then the story will take. Um, and I mean, literal shape, right? Mm-hmm. Like actually being, being able to visualize a shape, uh, it's something one of my grad school professors said. And, and when she said it, I thought, Oh, it kind of gave me permission to, to think that way too, or just be like, that's all you need to know. <laughs> this is a spiral or this novel is a Venn diagram or this novel is uh, a circle. Right. So, um, Uh, which really for me just means the, uh, like for, for notes on your sudden disappearance, I I was thinking of it as a, as a circle, right. That Sally starts off in this one point on the circle with Mm -hmm. Kathy in their bedroom or in their family home. And Mm -hmm. she travels all around the world and lives her life and comes back to the same point, right? The same house without Kathy though, right? And sort right. of who is she? And, and bringing those similarities and differences into, into effect. But um, so, so I don't know. So that's really what I write towards. I also generally have to have a kind of conceit in my head, like not, not necessarily a full plot. But for me, the notes, like this idea that, okay, we're going to start with this girl taking notes on the state of the union for her sister. Mm -hmm. And like, what else is she going to jot down for her sister as she grows up? And so I just try to answer that question Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than really plotting out a plot though at a certain point, you know, once I have a first full draft or like, you know, hundreds of pages that are very, very messy. Cause this is what happens when you don't have your post-it board of neatly arranged scenes You you end up with a very terrifying, <laughs> messy first draft that you kind of have to like triage. Right? It's like, what is this thing? Um, right. What did I do? <laughs> uh, and so then that, that tends to be when I pull like on my writing tools or, or whatever you call them. You know, like when I teach my creative writing classes, I, I give students all these techniques for plotting and, um, and then I'll start thinking of those and, and mm-hmm. maybe journal or write out a list of scenes that need to still happen and and mm-hmm. so on. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the arc of just like having a quick idea and running with it for a very, very long time until Mm -hmm. I can't. And then I need like, and then I need assistance. Uh, Yeah.
0: So you write it and then how many times do you write it before you take it to friends, editors? What what do you do next? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, I, I, both of my novels have come out of short stories that I've written. Um, Mm -hmm stories that I, you know, I wrote and I I didn't quite know what they were. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I usually I do readings or I've been in writing workshops, uh, writing groups with people. Um, So usually I give my short fiction to someone or maybe read it aloud somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And I kind of go off response, right? Like the, the very first short story that I, I wrote for notes was the scene you know, it was just this this story about this young girl taking notes on the State of the Union, and I remember reading it aloud at um, a reading in AWP, Seattle, many years ago. Uh, and I was surprised, you know, I, I when when certain, when people laughed at certain parts, I thought, oh, <laughs> good, you know, or like I didn't know that if that was funny, or I didn't know if that would land. Mm-hmm. Um and so reader response very 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 early on uh okay. is kind of key to my process because it mm-hmm. it's like here's just a little short story but I I can tell that people like something about it whether it's right. the voice or the plot or a certain character and that gives me the confidence to actually try to write more it's very scary writing a novel in 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 darkness or very scary writing a novel that no one has seen anything of because it's such an investment and and I need that early push Mm -hmm. of something to get me really thinking about writing more pages Um, but then once I do that, I kind of go in lockdown mode. <laughs> it's like, no one can see the rest because I don't know what it is and I'm embarrassed of it. And so anyone sees it, I'll deflate like a little balloon and never Aww. be able to work on it again. I know. I don't know. So I didn't show my agent this book for, I mean, I, sh- I showed her uh, a couple of years ago for the first time, you know maybe three years ago, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but I had been working on it for like seven years. So she knew nothing. <laughs>
0: <But> how, <laughs> how I did was you,
1: terrified that, you know, what was going to happen when I showed it
0: to her. Yeah. How did you find your agent? How did my that agent, happen? Uh I found my agent
1: a long time ago, um, right out of graduate school. I I had a friend tell me that he found his agent by reading books that he loved and you know, think of the writers you love the most, uh, mm-hmm. books you've loved the most, find out who represents them. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was such a good idea. It was, a, it was not a way like I would have thought at the time about agents. Cause I just thought, I guess I didn't, it didn't occur to me that agents would have really specific styles right, or really be looking for specific voices. Right. And so if if you've identified a connection, right, a point of connection between you and an agent, like, oh, you both love this book by Jane Mm -hmm. Smiley or whatnot, you know, it's just brings you one step closer to understanding who that agent is or or what they might want from from writers. Um, So I I did that. I, I really, I looked up Jane Smiley's agent after I read A Thousand Acres. I was blown away by that book, loved it, and found... Molly Friedrich uh, and saw that, you know, she had a client list of other writers I I really loved and uh, spent about a year writing that query letter, you know, and really revising it over and over and over and revising my novel as I revised my query letter. Because one thing I realized, yes. That's um, how
0: important the query letter is, huh? Just one letter is, I mean,
1: I don't, I don't advise everyone taking your on that letter <laughs> Okay. Um, for me, for me, what happened is I tried to write a query letter for the first time and realized I had no idea what my book was about because that, you know, what is a query letter other than a distillation of what your book is about. Right. right. And, and I, I couldn't articulate it. And to me, it just highlighted deficiencies in the novel. So I was like, oh, I'm not ready actually. Uh, I need to I need to figure out what the plot is really and, and what the main hook is. Like what is that? And then once I realized, I was like, once I started thinking that way about the manuscript, certain voices became really clear to me, like, oh, that's the hook. Well, you need to go back in and, and emphasize that, right? And and cut out parts that are not quite related to answering the dramatic question. So for me, it was a great exercise. And I actually try to do that as much as I can now when I'm kind of mm-hmm. midway through a long project, I try to describe it to someone who's not me. <laughs> and okay. if it's very easy to do, I'm like, good, I'm in good shape. And if it's extremely difficult, I, I know that I don't quite have a handle on my project.
0: Yeah. Okay. Got it. So so you were writing the query letter. I know you were writing it also to try to get a handle of your project and you know, do that. Can someone send a query letter on a manuscript that's not perfect? That's not fully done? I mean, like
1: oh yeah. I mean, that's that is going to be what happens, you know. Really? Um,
0: the the reason I ask is this is a personal question, actually, is I currently have a manuscript, okay? Mm-hmm. And I got an editor. And she sent me, well, let's just say she's highlighted the entire Down manuscript. And, you know, so I'm, I'm working through it and I'm editing it and I'm working through it. And, you know, and I'm obviously, I was like, okay, let me work through all of this before I query. The story is there. The, I mean, the, the story arc, everything is there, it's all done. I'm just in the edits, you know, like making it nicer and whatever else. So the question I have is, should I be querying now while I have a manuscript, but it's not pretty?
1: You know, I mean, it, it'd be hard to say without reading it. But I, when I finally did query Molly um, and she called me, uh, one of her first questions was, are you prepared to do more work on this manuscript? <laughs> and I said, yes, of course. And we edited it for two years really um, together. So it, I think it has to be as good as you can make it at okay. the time, you mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. there, you, you might be thinking, oh, I know there's something wrong with this, or I know it's not quite finished, but I can't figure out how to do this. <laughs> right. And I think it's as good as I can make it right. Um, kind of on my own. And I think that's a good point at which to either give it to a writing group and then an agent. Right. But, but Um, yeah, it should never, I mean, if you waited until your manuscript was perfect, you'd never, you'd never it, Right.
0: Because I, because now I'm thinking, had I not given it to my, to the editor, like I found an editor and I paid a lot of money to get these edits. If I'd have just queried at that point, then, and I'd found an agent, then I'd have been doing these edits with the agent for free. Yeah. I mean, it really,
1: it really depends. You know, it is, right. all, it is all such a gamble, but you know, it's um, agents, agents only want to do so much work and, and it's hard, true, to, predict, true, it's hard to predict what that work is, you know? True. And I think the the point of the query is that you're identifying really what is marketable or sellable or interesting about your book to a general audience or maybe a non-general audience, but just someone else who's not you. And if they're interested in that, you know, if that hooks them, I think they'll be prepared to do some work with you. Right. Because, Ah. because those key elements aren't going to change. Maybe some of the words will, and some of the paragraphs and some of the scenes as, Mm -hmm. as you edit together, but I think as long as those key things remain the same, the the agent mm-hmm. will want to do the work with you. But um, because, it, it, yeah, I, it's very rare for an editor or an agent to sign on to something if they're like, "I want to completely overhaul what you're doing." <laughs> you know, they don't they don't generally say that, right? They say, right. "I love what you're doing. I love the story. I love these characters. I think we just need." To sharpen everything or we need to right, right. bring out some plot points of more than others or you know does that make
0: sense it it really does it really does make sense you know you had also said about finding an agent you said books you enjoyed reading and then you connected to the agents with the query on that note but okay so what if the genre is completely different if I really love fantasy, but I'm writing horror, I don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, I'm just throwing out two different genres, you know? Okay. But I can't really contact the fantasy agent and be like, Hey, I love your books. You're representing. I'm writing a horror, by the way. It's, you know, got a lot of blood and gore. What do you think? Do do you see what I'm saying? Where is the overlap? If I'm writing a drama, yours is a drama, you know, like, I can potentially see that, but do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, I mean, you can look up agents, the agents of books you love, and you're going to find agents that are not suited for your, for your book, right? I mean, I think you'll just, you just have to kind of know what that is for yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Though, that being said, you know, agents do represent multiple genres. Um, You you just have to know what those genres are, right? Um, Certain agents represent nonfiction writers, certain agents represent comedy writers, uh, novelists or genre mm-hmm. writers or what, you know, I mean, so I don't think that's necessarily like a, a deal breaker if, you know, you're writing fantasy and you, and you're interested in a book that is, is horror, mm-hmm. but I would definitely Google it okay. <laughs> and yeah, make no, sure just... that, that they're open to those, to those submissions. sure. Um, sure. but yeah, no, really, delicate. I guess we could, we could sharpen it to say, you know, reading books that you really love that in some ways feel similar to to your Mm -hmm. project for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. No, no, this is, this is really good because I talk to a lot of authors and everyone's journey is a little different. Yes. You know, like the reason I even got an editor is because one author said, no, you need to get an editor, work with an editor, get it, you know, going before anything else. And I'm kind of like, oh, well, maybe, you know, but then the editor was like, Well, I'm not an agent. I I don't work with agents because there'll be a conflict of interest. So I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, you know, so I'm learning the different right. processes. And then you have someone who's like, well, I just queried, I just sent out query letters and I just sent out letters and kept sending them out till someone said yes. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay. So it's um it's interesting. Anyway, um what makes you happy? What makes me happy?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh hmm, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I
1: mean I think lately, I think what makes me happy changes quite frequently, but lately um it's been spending time with very good friends mm-hmm. in out in outdoor spaces, you know, whatever it is, just outside somewhere with one or two people I really love. And that's been making life feel pretty good these days.
0: Sounds absolutely blissful. Yeah. So tell me, um, what are your favorite books? What, what books do you like to read? What are your top favorite books of all time?
1: Top favorite books of all time? You know, I, I, I was a very early young reader, a mm-hmm. very obsessive young reader. So a lot of my favorite books were kind of stamped on my heart uh-huh. way back when. Um one of my all-time favorite books. I haven't read it in so long, uh, so I don't know if it holds up. But um, The Secret History by Donna Tartt. I okay. love that book. In college, one of my favorite books was uh, Self-Help by Laurie Moore. Okay. A great short story collection that, to me, was maybe one of the first books that I read where I, was, I, I thought, this is, this is the kind of writing that, that I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. I love Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. I read that a few years ago when it came out and just, yeah, I just absolutely loved her kind of vignette style and just how spare her prose was. It was, it was amazing. And there are so many more favorite books, but I'm, I am now, I am now blanking. Uh, But, but those are three, three books that I would say not only just books that i you know read and reread as soon as i finished uh but um books that i look back to as a writer you know Mm -hmm. i reread them i open a passage when i'm stuck or when i'm thinking maybe i don't actually want to be a writer maybe i hate books you know maybe i hate all all this whole thing i'll open one of those and and just read a sentence and be like oh no okay this is good. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is books are great. And I want to write one.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have uh, any favorite authors, like books you've read of one author, like you've read all their books, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I, I do. Tr- I, I do try
1: to do that. So I'm, I wouldn't say that I am the greatest reader of single authors because I, I find myself totally devoted to certain books uh-huh. And then completely disappointed by the other book, right? <laughs> or the, uh-huh. like, that you know, like I want. If if I'm totally blown away by Department of Speculation, that puts a lot of pressure on Jenny Offel's next book, and you know, right. which which I which I read and and I did really enjoy, but um, it didn't quite give me the same feeling as 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 Department of Speculation, uh, for better or worse. So, but yeah, I mean, I would say Margaret Atwood, Laurie Moore. Uh, Jane Austen, I is. I've heard of her. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think she wrote one or two <laughs> uh,
0: here and there. You know, Pride yeah, and something. In,
1: uh, <laughs> they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Yeah. So I, I, I did, I did make it a point to to read through each Austen book over the past few years, uh, just because
0: you know. It's... I haven't read all of hers. Actually, I've read. Uh, I'm trying to think, I know Pride and Prejudice. have read Emma i haven't Ever read since, emma um yeah. i loved emma uh northern gabby i think i've read and sense and sensibility although i don't remember the northern gabby and sense and sensibility but uh but yeah austin's um she's austin that's why she's you know austin. she's austin yeah so what's next for you well i am
1: working on a, a new book a new novel uh-huh. uh uh I am getting pages together to send to send my agent, so that's what I've been doing uh, this summer so far. And I have a a short story series through Audible. It's an Audible original, and I've been working on that. And that the next. Installment of that series will be coming out in September, I believe. It's called "In Depth Market Research Interviews with Dead People," <laughs> and it's like a okay. kind of yeah. <laughs> it's a um, sort of product, you know, research interviews that the market research, the market researcher has access to to these customers in the afterlife, and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty absurd premise, but I I was drawn to it because I, I loved the way that, you know, by thinking about a certain product, like uh-huh. bounty paper towels right? okay. or tempur mattresses, right? If you could only talk about your relationship with one product, like what would you reveal about your life, right? And, and what stories might emerge as people ask you about why you buy this brand as opposed to that brand or what do you look for when mattress shopping, right? I mean... Uh-huh. So that was, that was a really fun project for me and it's, it's just finishing up. So, um, so that'll be out. That'll be the next thing that comes out. Um, So if you're into absurd, darkly comedic uh, audible stories,
0: they're about an hour long. I should give them a listen. How do you get into like doing that? Like, is it something your agent tells you like, Hey, there's this Avenue for your stories or or, I mean, does the agent know you have these short stories and gave you that avenue or someone told you about this? I mean, like, how does someone even think about doing a short story series on Audible?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, if you're a short story writer, you probably know that to where certain journals to send them to. Um, mm-hmm. And I was really just finishing up short stories that I had been working on for quite some time and um I uh, I didn't quite know what to do with them right I mean I was Mm -hmm. more interested in selling a novel at the time but I I wanted I wanted to do something with these stories and um I I sent them to my agent for suggestions right like or just what do you think you know are these stories ready do you have any ideas of of certain audiences that might work for each story Mm um and the, the market research one, she, she latched on to cause it was, it's sort of written in a play format, right. Or uh-huh. it's just a, it's just a dialogue. So I uh-huh. think she was like, <laughs> you know, audible, like this would make a great audio story. And she knew about that. I, I wouldn't have thought to query audible. I didn't, I didn't know they were looking for content, but I do believe they are actually looking for content. If you go to audible.com or whatnot, oh. um, for a short story or for, for writers, um, there's a page that will tell you how to pitch something. Wow. Okay. So that might be a a good for anyone who's listening uh, to check out if, if you have a story that, um, you know, I think for the short pieces, they really do look for stories that are really asking to be heard or -hmm. listened to, as opposed Mm -hmm. to read or written. Right. Um, so if you have something that really just fits the bill, uh, I'd say give them a try.
0: Ah, very, very, very good. So, well, do you have anything for my listeners to talk about yourself, your book, anything?
1: I just, Thank you so much for for having me on and, and asking me uh, so many interesting questions and reading the book and wanting to talk about it. I mean, that's really so amazing to me when 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 anyone asks me a single question about it. Who <laughs> is not my mother or father, you know? Um, so I am I'm, I'm super flattered and and. It's been really nice talking to you. And uh, for any you know readers, uh, if if you do feel compelled to read the book after this podcast uh, episode, um, reach out to me. Send me a, an email, or uh, you know, I'm I'm always happy to connect with with readers for whatever reason. So 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 I hope I, I hear from some of you. Uh, and if not, thank you for
0: listening. How do they reach out to you? What what is your email address? Because I connected. With you three, a publicist. I don't have your it's, email address. <laughs> <laughs> it's a,
1: it's on my website. If um, I have a list of. Okay. of, of I'm
0: looking um, at the back of your book right now, even as we speak. Oh, it's and, not on. It's
1: not on the book. But no,
0: it's, it's not. It's just the Henry Holtz mentioned on your book.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's on my website. Um, and there, there's a directory of of different emails to use for different reasons. So
0: okay, so I guess um, your website is uh Alison S Pack
1: correct. Yep.
0: Okay.
1: Very easy. Yeah. Very,
0: very, very cool. I want to say thank you so much. I have learned a lot. I loved chatting with you about your book. You've answered my two absolutely burning questions about the title and the point of view, which I've been like, that is That's just going to be my first question I'm going to ask her. I've been telling my husband about this since I'm reading the book. And I absolutely loved your book. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for spending this time and chatting with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: And that's it for my conversation with Allison. I personally enjoyed the book immensely and would highly recommend the read. And as Alison said, contact her. I'm sure she would be happy to hear from you. I'll add her link in the show notes. And upcoming for this podcast is another author conversation with Jayanti Sankar from Singapore. I'm working on editing that episode and it should be available soon. And of course, there's going to be book club and I have another conversation scheduled on an alternate history anthology about Ukraine. So a lot coming down the wire, stay tuned. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living A Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse, look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D dot com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.